if the practice principle is vital for teaching such morally neutral tasks as tying shoes, how much more important is it for training children in Christ-like character? This is Yvette Hampton, host of the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. Join us each week for a new episode as we offer encouragement and resources on biblical discipleship from popular speakers and authors, as well as parents just like you and me. Find out more at schoolhouserocked.com or listen anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Share what you've learned about justice and Jesus throughout your life. I have learned from Jesus that I should have compassion, that 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 love should be felt (laughs) in a gut level to then use my resources, my gifts, my talents, and even my weaknesses. I think what I have taken away from just the character of Christ Mm. when it comes to injustice is that it's going to cost me something. Mm. That it's going to cost me coming out of my comfort zone. It's gonna cost me taking time to learn about injustices in in places that I don't see, in places that are hidden to me. It's gonna cost me spending time in prayer Mm. and allowing my heart to connect to this unseen world of injustice and praying for God's rescue, praying for the people in these situations. It's gonna cost me money. It's gonna cost me time. It's gonna cost a lot for me that maybe I wouldn't be so willing to give if it weren't for the love of God in my heart moving me and compelling me to get involved. We have to be willing in some way to get involved just so that we can, again, be the hands and feet of Jesus and make the difference that He came to make. When you look at Jesus and what he came to do, it's easy to, to shift into some kind of a theologizing mode and say that he came to lay down his life for us so that we would have eternal life. But that's not the end of the story, that we actually have these stories in the Bible to show us how to live, how to, that we ought to be like Jesus. We, we sing that song, we are in his hands and we are his feet, uh, that we have the opportunity to do what he did while he was here. Even if you'd want to take the phrase social justice to be synonymous with helping the poor or seeking justice in the world, even taken that way, that is not why Jesus came. This was not a major part of his project. It doesn't mean that he didn't care about the poor. He actually didn't talk about them very much because he cared more about sinners and his role in saving sinners than he did in the Christian's interest or role or responsibility in taking care of the poor. I went through the entire Gospel of John, from the first verse to the last verse. This Gospel, by by the way, the last Gospel, on all counts pretty much, having been written, giving the most clear and precise characterization of the person and the work of Christ. That is what he came to do, what he was all about. And in that elegant characterization by one of Jesus' closest friends, a disciple for many years, in Jesus' presence, when summing up Jesus' life, the Apostle John did not commit a single word to anything that might be construed as the social gospel. He did not come for that purpose, to restore social justice and to help us all get along. In fact, when he did give the multitudes food, it created a problem. And the problem was they thought he was about getting free food. And that's when he said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread. He who eats of me will live even if he dies. He eats, will, will never hunger again. 
and the water of life and the resurrection of life. There's these other characterizations in the gospel, but notice how all of these focus in on not the works of the Christian to restore something akin to social justice, justice, but the work of Christ to do justice on our behalf before the Father to rescue us from our own crimes. That's why he came. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to give my life a ransom for many. It's a payment to purchase out of slavery. The concept that Jesus is the sole Savior of mankind is there from beginning to end because that was Jesus' mission and message. It's all through the scriptures. And in fact, this is the thing that he emphasized himself, not what Christians ought to be doing for the poor. If you reduce him to a social justice warrior, an SJW, you've missed everything important. Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm your host, Malbatos. May this episode bless you and bring glory to God. Ladies, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. If you are new to TE, well, welcome. (laughs) Today's episode, well... Let's just say it's an emotional one for me. I am passionate about this subject really because I understand what type of fruit the teaching we are going to look at produces. I have seen in my own life the self-righteousness that comes from thinking that I am the hands and feet of Jesus, that God uses me to set people free, and that that is my mission in this world. But the more I studied scripture and saw what Jesus did and how he lived by the grace of God, I began to acknowledge the truth that in that state, I was really like the rich young ruler, thinking I was keeping the law, but not giving up everything. As I saw my flesh cling to my life and my comforts and letting the goodness of God's law expose it, I'm often brought to despair because of my failure to be like Christ. Teachings like what Arise presents talks as if we not only should be as compassionate as Christ, but can be as loving, compassionate, and can set people free of oppression as Christ did. I'm passionate because speaking the truth about Jesus is so very important. Not just stating that he is God in flesh and that he died for our sins. These are very important. But also getting his ministry purpose and works correct. Because if we emphasize these as the church's role in this world and the Christian's life mission, we will ultimately reject the beauty and rest that God gives in Jesus Christ to those who are in spiritual poverty. So, Let's dive in. Let's look at what If Equips Arise teaches about Jesus, especially what they say about what Jesus's mission was. 
According to Arise, Jesus' ministry was mostly focused on the marginalized, oppressed, and poor in society. His purpose was to always set free and heal, and that these acts of mercy and healing and compassion were the way Jesus was fighting for justice. In week one, day three, titled The Hope of Light Overcoming the Darkness, Arise states this, quote, As Jesus was beginning his ministry, he quoted the prophet Isaiah 61.1, proclaiming the gospel and his mission on earth. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Luke 4.18 NIV As we will see throughout this study, most of Jesus' ministry focused on the marginalized and poor of society, those who were the victims of injustices. Let's join him in this mission. In quote from week one, day three. So let's do a little Bible digging here. Let's read first, in context, the passage that arises quoting here, and find out if Jesus meant that his goal was to focus, quote, on the marginalized and poor of society, those who were the victims of injustices, end quote. I'm going to start at Luke 4:16 and read from the ESV. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind." to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This passage is a typical social gospel passage that teachers really like to use as the quintessential passage that makes the case that Jesus' mission was a social justice mission. In fact, Listen to this quote from an article by Baptist News Global titled, Jesus and the Inauguration of the Social Gospel, written by Russell G. Waldrop, a retired pastoral counselor and vice president of the Waynesboro, Virginia NAACP. In it, he will go over what typical social gospel teachers believe Jesus meant by the poor, prisoners, blind, and oppressed. Real quick side note here, inauguration means the beginning or introduction of a system, policy, or period, the formal admission of someone to office, or a ceremony to mark the beginning of something. So basically, Mr. Waldrop and many other social gospel, social justice proponents claim that this is Jesus introducing what he came to do and teach. Quote, in Luke 4, 16-18, Jesus initiated his own inaugural address for what many call the social gospel. In his hometown synagogue at Nazareth, he read from Isaiah 61, 1-2, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, 
to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This identified for his congregation several areas of his social ministry. Good news to the poor. When Jesus said, you always have the poor with you, that was not the end of his sentence. He added, and you can help them anytime you want, but you won't always have me. In the first additional phrase, he assumes his disciples will want to help poor people. In the latter, he speaks of the brief time between his death and resurrection when he was unavailable. After his resurrection, though, he became available always and encouraged them in that ministry of helping the poor. Freedom for Prisoners Jesus' social ministry also is seen in Matthew twenty-five thirty-one to 46 which describes six social groups, those who are hungry, sick, naked, imprisoned, estranged, and sick, producing numerous combinations. Yet, Jesus was not describing sociological groupings. His disciples were to identify with them personally. For example, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are ministered as if you yourselves were suffering. This would include all six groups and any others who are mistreated. Recovery of Sight to the Blind Blind people are not necessarily sick, but they do have a disability. Jesus told his disciples to include them in their social events along with poor and crippled people. All were welcome in his social gospel. Release for the Oppressed Institutions are notorious for systemic oppression, that is, oppression built or baked into the system. Governments, schools, churches, even families have ways to exclude people who are minorities, different or have little voice or power. Jesus said, it shall not be that way with you. Rather, he and his disciples would serve the least member of society. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, this was the Jubilee, a restructuring and redistribution of society's economic resources land capital debts, to prevent monopolies from crushing poor people. Unquote. That was from Baptist News, Jesus and the Inauguration of the Social Gospel. While Mr. Waldrop is quite clear on what he believes Jesus's mission was, rise is more subtle, but the similarities are still there. Both are teaching that Jesus set about to uproot social norms and to bring temporal comforts to social groups. They both view this passage with a temporal, physical, and social lens. But is that what Jesus is getting at? Is that even what Isaiah was about when he gave the prophecy? Let's first look at Isaiah 61 and determine if this is true. Let's see if Isaiah is prophesying of a Messiah that would come to rescue people from physical poverty and oppression. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Other translations have this as opening the eyes of those who are blind or recovering of sight to those who are blind. Remember, 
Scripture talks a lot about spiritual mindedness. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, do you notice this? In the year of the Lord's favor, God will comfort those who will mourn, all those who were poor, brokenhearted, captive, imprisoned, blind. And how will he comfort them? He will clothe them. So we need to understand this is something spiritual, because while Jesus heals, sets free, and feeds, we don't see him clothing people or giving them headdresses or dousing them in oil. But back to the text. They shall bind up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels for as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up so the lord god will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations that was Isaiah 61. This is such a beautiful passage. Isaiah is proclaiming the favor of the Lord is the everlasting covenant that he establishes with a people, a people who mourn because of their spiritual poverty. These people he will set free from their slavery to sin and clothe them in a righteousness that does not belong to them. And because of this righteousness, praise will sprout up before all the nations. This is what Christ is pointing to when he quotes from this prophecy. This is what he is saying in this day, this prophecy is fulfilled. I think what Arise teaches about Jesus's purpose is also quite ironic because as you continue on in the study, they will make the claim that not only was it Jesus's mission to set free the victims of injustice, but that Jesus always sets free and was quick to heal and act in compassion. 
I was even willing to, quote unquote, break a rule to set someone free. Quote, Jesus didn't force people to wait until the next day. Jesus sought to pull people from the pit of injustice immediately. And if that happened to fall on the Sabbath, so be it. Because sometimes to write an injustice, a rule must be broken. End quote, week three, day three. So there are two problems with this claim. One, if they had us continue reading the context of this passage, they couldn't make the claim that Jesus didn't force people to wait or that he sought to put people from the pit of injustice immediately. So let's go to the text and continue reading. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the day of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill in which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So, there are a couple things to notice as we're reading this. One, obviously Jesus did not heal or write the injustices in his own hometown. Two, what I think is more striking is why Jesus did not do the miracles and acts of compassion there. Because that is what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to prove that he was the Messiah by performing these acts, by being compassionate and setting people free of sickness, poverty, and injustice. Remember that the Jews were awaiting a Messiah that would ultimately set them free from Roman rule. Instead, Jesus makes the claim that he has come to set people free, but not all will receive a miracle. There were many widows in Israel in the day of Elijah, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. Now, after hearing this, all these in the synagogue were filled with anger, drove him out of town, and wanted to throw him off a cliff. We have a clear passage here telling us that Jesus' main goal was not the miracles of healing, acts of compassion, and feeding of hungry people. His main goal was to proclaim to people to repent of their sins and trust that he was the promised Messiah sent from God who would die for his people. We must understand that Jesus only spent three years of his 33 years on earth in ministry. Not only that, think on this. Jesus was God in flesh. 
He could heal people in a different part of town. John 4, 43-54. If Jesus' purpose was to heal, set free the oppressed, and eliminate poverty, he could do it in an instant. Instead, we read of many occasions where Jesus avoided feeding and healing and left an area to avoid the crowds. But there's another problem with how Arise portrays Jesus. They believe that, quote, In the New Testament, Jesus reminded his disciples to follow his lead in reconciling the lost to himself through the sacrificial message of the gospel. Read the gospels and you'll find that healing the sick, feeding the hungry, and providing for those with needs went hand in hand with the spread of the gospel. Week 6, Day 4 Here they're implying that Jesus always healed, fed, and provided when he proclaimed the gospel. But as we just read, that's not true. What we don't read about from Arise is the purpose for these acts of feeding, provision, and healings as miracles. The way he does them are miraculous. And that's the point, which Arise entirely misses. They are done to prove that Jesus is divine, that he is God. Throughout this study, over and over again, Arise wants you to look at Jesus' life as one we can emulate, one that can be accomplished in healing, feeding, providing, and fighting for justice for others. To do that, they have to downplay Jesus' deity, make him more of a man. Because if Jesus was God, how could we be like him and do what he did? These acts of service, healings, and compassion were to shine a light on who he was. They were done to reveal God's love and compassion and prove that Jesus was the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. They were to draw our attention to the real reason he came, to proclaim forgiveness of sins for those who are poor in spirit. His life shows us what true righteousness looks like, but it was also to fulfill the law for us so we might become the righteousness of God. To God, those of us who believe have loved and served our neighbor as Christ did because we are clothed in his righteousness by faith. Through Christ, I can serve him in thankfulness for and faith in the finished work he has accomplished for us. Now, let's address the claim that Jesus broke rules to set people free. We should be careful, really, how we word things. I try my best to use the correct words, though I fail at it quite often. It's really why I write a transcript for this podcast. Now, I think the use of the word rule here was a really bad choice. Many people look at God's law and assess them as a set of rules. We can also look at the Pharisees' addition to the law as a set of rules. Rules made to help one obey the commandments. Jesus called these rules traditions of men, Mark 7, 8. It was these that Jesus was willing to break. Yet as he was the Lord of the Sabbath, the Sabbath was his and is his to give, Matthew 12, 8, Mark 2, 28, Luke 6, 5, Jesus is proclaiming that he is the one who exercises authority over the Sabbath day. He sets the rules and he is the one who gives rest. GotQuestions.org puts it this way, quote, as creator, Christ was the original Lord of the Sabbath, John 1, 3, Hebrew 1, 10. 
had the authority to overrule the Pharisees' traditions and regulations because he had created the Sabbath. And the Creator is always greater than the creation. Furthermore, Jesus claimed the authority to correctly interpret the meaning of the Sabbath and all the laws pertaining to it. Because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, he is free to do on it and with it whatever he pleases. End quote. That's from uh, questions.org article, Lord of the Sabbath. The way Arise presents Jesus' healing on the Sabbath makes it seem like he did it to purposely break a rule. And I'm sure he knew that was what the Pharisees were going to accuse him of. But remember, there are two main goals Jesus is working on achieving. To give perfect glory to God by fulfilling all righteousness for an unrighteous people, and to die for those people and take the wrath of God for their sins. So, in actuality, Jesus is not breaking any true law rule, but fulfilling the law in healing on the Sabbath. His actions were not to encourage us to set people free, even if it means breaking a rule, because that's what Arise is implying here. He was the Lord of the Sabbath. He was showing what the Sabbath was about, rest, and who it was for, man. And ultimately, it is he who brings it. We do not. Arise equates the work of justice and compassion with bringing Sabbath to people. Instead of the simple proclamation of the gospel and pointing people to the Lord of the Sabbath, it therefore becomes our job to bring rest by setting people free. Instead of finding our true rest in him because of his finished work, his work of setting us free from death, sin, the devil, and rescuing us from the wrath of God, we must now take on the burden of others who are receiving injustice, and we must love them as Jesus loved them and be moved into righteous action by fighting against injustice. But how are we to do this? Well, Arise addresses this. Quote, You don't have to survive sexual assault or be thwarted with systematic racism or discrimination to be empathetic and move to righteous action. You just need to offer the kind of love Jesus expressed in Matthew 11, 28-30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Offer the love that listens and holds space for grief and processing. Resist the trite, the sappy, the shallow lies, and lavish the gritty, dedicated love that flows from God himself. Jesus was not content to live in his glorious heaven. He wasn't driven by comfort, but by love. Love that sees, suffers alongside, sacrifices, delivers, and advocates. End quote. Week 6, Day 3. Arise wants to present this as if it's just so easy to do. Just provide a love that offers rest to others. Love that, like Jesus loved. Quote, a love that sees, suffers alongside, sacrifices, delivers, and advocates. End quote. And love is the law. It is the very foundation principle residing within the Ten Commandments. It is at their essence to love God and love neighbor. And the law is our schoolmaster, Galatians 3.24. 
It was given to show us how depraved we are. It is given to show us that we cannot keep it and therefore we turn to Christ so we may instead be justified not by loving our neighbor like Jesus did, but justified simply by faith in Christ. What they have done here is taken a verse of rest and grace given to people who understand their need for righteousness because they see that their own righteousness does not look anything like Jesus's and turn it into a verse of action on our part. For us to be empathetic and moved to action, we must offer what Christ offered. We must offer them rest. Rest not from a striving to be righteous, but rest from suffering, from oppression, racism, marginalization, etc. Instead of calling people to rest from their work by resting in Christ, if arise would have you believe that not only are we called to fulfill Jesus's mission by bringing justice, setting prisoners free, abolishing poverty, etc., but that by doing these things, we are bringing the Lord's favor. Quote, the good news of Jesus has flesh and blood implications for the oppressed, not just in heaven, but here on earth right now. The Lord's favor looks like the abolishing of poverty, imprisonment, blindness, and oppression. When we fight for the flourishing and wellness and justice of our neighbors, we're proclaiming the ministry of Jesus. End quote. Week 6, Day 1. Now, can you see the implication of this? The problems that can arise from this teaching. It first lays on women the burden to bring the favor of God to others, but also has a prosperity light type of teaching within it. When I read this claim, I immediately thought, of Paul, who just so happens to experience each thing listed in this sentence. Poverty, imprisonment, blindness, and oppression. God granted each to Paul in his sovereign favor to help spread the gospel to the Gentiles. Yes, God also delivered out of these as well. But it's so farce to say that the abolishing of these things indicates the Lord's favor. Throughout this study over and over again, Jesus is exemplified as our example, and it is true that Jesus is the perfect example of a human being who loved God and loved neighbor perfectly. We should all want to be like him. That desire is a good one. But you really run into problems when you start teaching people that we can actually fulfill the law like Jesus did. You make it even worse when you reject the law of God as the law that Jesus actually fulfilled and instead make the law advocating for social justice. The purpose of Arise is to encourage women to be involved in fighting for justice as much as Arise as Jesus was. It continually points us to Jesus as the perfect example one should follow. He was a man who loved perfectly by treating everyone fairly, healing the sick, feeding the poor, and setting free the oppressed. These actions were him fulfilling the law of love. This is one of my biggest peeves about the typical evangelical church today. What we do with Jesus's fulfillment of the law. Did Jesus fulfill it to show us how to fulfill it? Well, yes, but leave it at that and we're left in despair. Because I look at Jesus's commitment to people and to God and his ministry I cannot even come close to measuring up. Achieving Jesus' righteousness is no light yoke. But to arise it is, and Jesus was showing us how to fulfill it. In week 5, day 2, titled, Jesus Fulfills the Law, 
Arise is going to tackle legalism. I want to show you how they resolve the issue. And we need to determine whether their resolution is an easy burden to bear or a heavy burden. Quote, One manifestation of our brokenness is that even as Christians, we can be prone to pharisaical tendencies, developing a strange zeal for the law of God that reduces worship to completing formulas. Legalism murders devotion. Jesus picked wheat in the grain fields and healed a man with a weathered hand during the Sabbath which violently incensed the religious experts. He brazenly broke bread with tax collectors and sinners, and yet Jesus said in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Same law, different interpretations, different results. Jesus' interpretation of the law fed his disciples and allowed a man the use of his hand for the very first time. The Pharisees' interpretation of the law tied cumin and dill, but starved the elderly, end quote. So Arise starts contrasting the way Jesus interpreted the law versus the way the Pharisees interpreted the law, and clearly states that Jesus came to fulfill the law. They continue by explaining that while the Pharisees sought to be holy by adhering to man-made traditions, in their zeal for their attaining holiness— they were unloving to people. Here they rightly teach that one is not justified before God by obeying the law. Quote, Here's the truth as written by Paul. For all of us with pharisaical tendencies, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Galatians 2.16 Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel message, potent in power, able to be expressed in every culture. End quote. Now, this is good. Faith in Jesus is our justification. It is what makes us right before God. Here's a great place to maybe include how faith in the gospel justifies us. Maybe present Galatians 3.23-29. Now before faith came, you were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized unto Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Or, look at Romans 1, 16-17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Or look at Romans 8, 3-4. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us 
who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Or they could have used myriads of other verses that informed us that our faith in Christ's life, death, and resurrection sets us free from the condemnation of the law, the condemnation that comes because we do not fulfill the law. We don't look like Christ. We don't fulfill it like Christ did, not even on our best day. But listen to what Arise states next. Quote, Paul, in this same letter, does give us a guideline for fulfilling the law like a Jesus follower. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5.14 The law fulfilled is the law of love for others. If our adherence to God's law tramples the people around us and excludes them from the mercies of God, what have we achieved? End quote. And that's it. So, what is Arise's resolution to legalism? Do what Christ did and fulfill the law by loving your neighbor as yourself. And in the context of Arise's teaching, they mean love your neighbor as yourself by fighting against injustices, feeding the poor, setting free the oppressed, doing it all as Jesus did. Now, tell me something. Do you feel that this is a light burden? If you do, maybe you should take a real good look at Jesus in scripture. Observe how he loved, how he fulfilled the law. He not only obeyed the Ten Commandments, but he obeyed all of the Jewish legal and ceremonial statutes as well. He obeyed his parents perfectly. He glorified God continually. He sacrificed all for his ministry. No home completely lived off of food provided by God, never worried or doubted, resisted temptation perfectly, spoke truth at all times, etc. How well are you doing in loving like Jesus loved? The whole law is fulfilled in love. But here's another thing I want to point out. Arise quoted Galatians 5.14 to spur you on to fight for justice under the law of love. Paul in Galatians, actually will go into our freedom in Christ. And what is the essence of that freedom? Faith. That what actually counts is not our adherence to the law, but our faith that is working through love. Galatians 5, 6. And then he will go on to describe what faith working through love actually looks like. The question is, does faith working through love look like fighting for social equalities? Let's read and find out. I'm going to read Galatians 5, starting at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, 
enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Scripture is not only very clear here. Paul has first explained the real importance to the Christian life, and that's faith. Faith in Christ, not the law. And that faith will work itself out in love. And then he tells us how we can do this by faith, accomplishing through whose power, the Spirit, and what loving each other looks like in daily life. That in faith, we are to walk in the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. For if we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. We are no longer bound to fulfill the law in perfect love to God and neighbor, but are now equipped by Christ through the Spirit to live by Him, by putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Arise would have you love others by using our power to fight for injustice, by giving up time, money, and comforts to rescue people from societal inequalities and oppression. But Paul doesn't mention anything like that, but instead implores believers to avoid sexual immoralities, impurities, sensualities, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, etc. That putting these deeds of the flesh to death and bearing the fruits of the Spirit are how we are to love one another. And in essence, we are not to grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Galatians 6, 9-10 Bottom line, Arise wants you to believe that social justice is a mandate from Jesus and must go hand in hand with the spread of the gospel. Quote, Don't fall for the lie that the gospel does not include social justice. Doing justice is a Micah 6, 8, Matthew 23, 23 mandate straight from the mouth of Jesus himself. A justice-optional gospel mocks the necessity of Jesus' death on the cross. God did not skirt the issue of justice when he saved us. Make justice, mercy, and faithfulness a higher priority than individual comfort. Work to make your community a place where everyone's sons and daughters can be safe, healthy, and educated. Support the local churches in blighted areas and partner with them. Then plead their cause to those in power. Do not hesitate to protect the abused. End quote. Week 5, Day 1. In the end, Arise makes what comes as a fruit of the Spirit, love, and compassion. They make it law. If it is a gospel issue, it is a salvation issue. 
Because the gospel is the proclamation of how one is saved from the wrath to come. And if the gospel is the proclamation of how one is saved and must include social justice, then how involved we are in bringing about that justice will determine whether we are saved or not. And while social justice warriors may think that, quote, the Lord's favor looks like abolishing of poverty, imprisonment, blindness, and oppression, end quote, social justice is not a work accomplished by Jesus and given as a gift to us to be received by faith. It is a work done by Christians who are to be the hands and feet of Jesus in accomplishing it. What a heavy weight to carry. So my conclusion for today. There are two legalistic traps that we can easily fall into. The typical legalistic trap of making the Christian life about what not to do. This is the pharisaical type that adds actions or methods to the law to help you keep it by not sinning. And then there's the other side. The progressive legalism that ignores the thou shalt not and focus on what one should be doing as a Christian. This is the one that I believe if Equip Arise is presenting here by teaching that to be a good Christian, one should be like Christ and pursue love, compassion, and justice as Christ did. I'm sure I have stepped on some toes when I made that statement, but bear with me. To desire to be like Christ is a very good thing, just like the desire to obey the law is a very good thing. But Christ's example, his perfect obedience to the law of God and his great pleasure, his perfect love for all, his acts of compassion for sinners, his rejection of the flesh and earthly comforts were not merely done to show us how the law is fulfilled. His perfect righteousness was accomplished so that those who hungered and thirsted for righteousness would be satisfied. It is given as a gift so that those of us who see how we fail to be like Christ daily could stand before God clothed in Christ and justified because we trust in Christ alone. While the if Equip study arise has the claim that Jesus died for your sins here and there. If I was a new convert, a person who had attended the if gathering, heard the typical talk of raising up the next generation, find my purpose in becoming a leader in ministry, and then making the choice to attend a woman's ministry that has chosen to do this study, where would this lead me? How would this affect my sanctification, my faith, and my walk? What would it teach me about man, God, Jesus Christ, and salvation? I'm going to tell you where I think it would have led me. It would have led me to focus on what I was doing for the world instead of my home. It would have led me to be discontent with my role as a wife, mother, and homemaker because gospel work, kingdom work, was bringing compassion and restoration to the oppressed and marginalized. I would have assessed my life choices and come to the conclusion that I was not being Jesus' hand and feet, that I was not pursuing God's heart for justice, and I would look at all arise states about Jesus and determine that working for social change in the world was what God had called me to do. It was how Jesus lived, and so it's how I'm to live. It would have caused me to focus on the works of Jesus as my mission in life. Now, 
Think about this. Was Jesus married? Did Jesus have a home to take care of, children to rear and take care of, an employer to work for? No, but it wasn't because he was giving his life for social change. It was because Jesus had one goal, to live a perfectly righteous life, fully in love to God and love to neighbor so that he may fulfill the law for us. To die the death that we deserve, to take the wrath of God that we deserve, and to rise again for our justification. Everything he did was to accomplish that goal. Every act of compassion, every word of knowledge, every miraculous act of healing was to prove to the people that he was the Messiah, that God was well pleased with him and had sent him to save the lost sheep from their sins and the wrath to come. Doing this study, I would have been taught how to conflate God's justice with God's compassion, rejecting God's call to righteousness in his law, and replacing it with Arise's idea of righteousness, the pursuit of equality for all. And because of this, I would believe that my righteousness comes from my ability to be like Christ in this area, by loving my neighbor, by fighting against the pressures, etc., etc. Faith in Christ's righteousness for me would have been far from my mind. Perhaps it's far from yours too. Perhaps you can relate to Paul. Let me read to you what Paul writes to the Romans. Let scripture bring you rest. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life to love God and to love neighbor, my point, proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law with, of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Rest in these promises, ladies. Rest in Christ and go about your day with thankfulness and praise what God has done for you, sharing his love with your husband, children, family, and friends. I pray you are in his word. Ladies, if you are interested in the transcript for this episode, you can go to ttew.org. You can find other great resources, articles, blogs, and videos that may bless you in your Christian walk, as well as links to follow me on social media. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at thoroughlyequipped316 at gmail.com. Again, the website address is ttew.org. Thoroughly Equipped is part of Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity by assisting Christians to have an eternal perspective on life. They strive to bring evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and Christian living together for the purpose of eternal preparation by exalting God, edifying and equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. They provide speakers, online articles, online courses, books, podcasts, and other theological resources, all centered on God's Word. To find out more, go to strivingforeternity.org. And to listen to other podcasts, go to podcast.strivingforeternity.org. I pray that their resources bless you as they have blessed me as we live our lives day by day, praising and glorifying God.